0: New York, I'm Adam Teeter.
1: From Connecticut, I'm Erica Ducey.
0: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Guys, what week are we in?
1: Who knows?
0: (laughs) 1,000.
2: I was about to say like week, and then I was like, I actually have no idea what week it is. Yeah. Is it week seven? Is it week nine? Someone told me week nine on an interview I did earlier today, and I was like, whoa, that's a long (laughs) time we've been doing this for. I just can't, man. I can't it's it's too much i'm drinking through all my good stuff i'm getting really nervous if you listen to the podcast and you want to send me wine please send wine Um, (laughs) i'm more than happy you know email us at podcastvinepair.com i'll send you my address um seriously like all the good stuff is just gone basically um i have to do another wine shop run what about you guys (laughs)
1: Yeah, I've I've moved into some scotches. Some scotches are are treating me right right now. Um, And other than that, I literally have gone through every single bottle of wine that I intend to drink from my very small collection. Uh, (laughs) and, And now I need now I need some new stuff. So also we'll 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 take what you got out there.
2: Exactly. See that's 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 for me. Like I have bottles that I still have, but I like I was like, oh, I have, these are bottles I don't want to open right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have a really tiny little wine fridge that holds twenty four bottles. So,
0: well, I uh, I still got some wine. But that doesn't mean <laughs> I won't, that doesn't mean I won't take some either. But uh, yeah, no, we we I have the I guess I've always had the wine collecting. Uh, bug and so uh, it's definitely I have a, a still a pretty a pretty good number of bottles. Although it is definitely you know still striking that balance between like, well, is this the night that I want to open that bottle? But but you know we've basically been been trying to to sort of be like, you know what, when we might as well because right. for my wife and I, usually the the bottle of wine at dinner is the thing that we look forward to most, besides possibly. Um just all the any time when our son is asleep, that's also good
2: <laughs> I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm gonna make uh so I fat washed vodka this week. Ooh. and oh my I'm gonna make an olive oil martini, I think tomorrow night.
1: Oh my gosh. Cool. Instagram.
2: I'm going to, you know, it's I'm so mad at myself though. Like I photographed the first part of the process of like actually adding the olive oil and mixing it and whatever, and then I put it in the freezer yesterday morning and then took it out last night to take the olive oil because olive oil will separate and freeze at top and take it off and I was like oh I'm gonna take a picture of this and I totally forgot and got so involved in making sure that I did it correctly that I don't have that photo so um but I will definitely Instagram the the drink when when I make it I'm pretty excited about it I don't know why I was like really craving an olive oil martini
1: did it pick up all of the notes of the olive oil pretty well
2: it has yeah and what's really interesting is that I've never I do not like vodka martinis let's be clear yeah. I'm a gin martini person. But every single bartender I read who does this olive oil washing says you have to do it with vodka because the gin has so many botanicals in it already that it's not going to pick up anything. But yeah, and it also has this like um the vodka has this like sort of smooth viscosity to it now that's really interesting.
1: Nice.
2: Um so I'm very curious to see how this will now taste. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a try, I think, tomorrow. Tonight's like burger night, so.
0: You know, probably probably not an olive oil martini. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe
1: I mean, is- it sounds pretty good to me.
2: Yeah, I, I also have a. I also did the same thing. I have a huge batch of Negronis in the freezer, in the fridge now. Uh-huh. So, like, I you know, just like screw it, and I made a batch, and it's, and it's getting better. So I like keep coming back to it. So maybe it'll be like a, a smaller Negroni before I open a bottle of wine, um, and eat a cheeseburger.
1: Nice, nice.
0: <laughs> it's party. It's party night in the Teeter household. I'm, I'm excited yeah. for you.
1: So, are you noticing the Negroni flavors sort, sort of mellow out and sort of smooth out a little bit, or what? What's the change that you're seeing?
2: Yeah, they actually they they actually they harmonize more. So, like it all sort of tastes as one, as opposed to being very clearly able to pick out like the Campari or the Vermouth. It all seems to sort of like taste more of a comp as a cohesive cocktail nice. um i don't think it's going to improve much more like i know people are like oh my gosh i put my negroni in the fridge and leave it for six months like I'm that's not going to happen it's going to be gone next week let's be clear but uh <laughs> <laughs> but like i it is interesting to think about the being able to do that i've been doing a lot of experiments it's the only thing that i have to like kind of keep me focused besides work you know like I have to have these little side projects. I mean, I have a lot of other projects that aren't drink related. Drinks related, but I don't think people want to hear about how I'm like paint, like doing touch up painting and stuff in my apartment. And like, I have a list that is being delivered to me that I need to accomplish every weekend. I feel like that's not that's not good. That's not good podcast content. Not this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm gonna be a gu- I'm, I didn't tell you guys I'm gonna be a guest on Bob Vila's. Uh, yeah, exactly. This old house a little bit later and uh, <laughs> I'll tell you everything about it. Um, but yeah, besides that, who knows? It's crazy.
0: Erica, I have a question for you, real quick, before we get into the topic, though, which is so. So, I know that uh, a couple weeks ago we were talking about, or maybe it was even last week's podcast. I can't, as Adam mentioned, time. Who knows? But um, you were sort of talking about how how the the one of the challenges or whatever for you being in Connecticut is there's like there are very few options for for delivery food, and I was thinking about like. Have, have you guys already exhausted everything that is available to you or is there still like some, are there still places that you're like, well, maybe we'll try and order God knows what from this place?
1: No, that that was it. There was like two places that were doing <laughs> delivery. But I mean, I also have to say, you know, it it does open my eyes much more to the challenges of, of wine buying and spirits buying as well. I have to say that some of the liquor stores up here are pretty well stocked with spirits, but- The wine, man, I got to say that there are – I have tried out all of the stores in this little area and – it is really big commercial brands. There is really not much that I want to purchase, so now I've turned to online and I am just ordering some wine up here because I've I've gone through the stores. I know what's here, and I am telling you, it is it is not that much. So I think that's <laughs> a, that's a challenge that you know you know in Seattle, Zach, or in New York, um, Adam and and I. We're just not running into a limited, super, super limited selection where they're maybe using one or two importers' tops for their wines that are from outside the country. And then within the country, uh, within the US, the wines are just the same exact labels from store to store to store with very little variation. It's it's not something I've run into that much.
2: It's, you know, it's really interesting though. I mean, this is not what this podcast topic was going to be about, but- I have – like when we first started Vine Pair, I think because Josh and I went to college in Atlanta before Atlanta has become this like amazing drinks scene since we left, um, and I'm from Alabama, like we had this recognition that that is most of the country, right? And when you start talking about like just these specific crew Beaujolais or Syrahs or whatever, you alienate so much of – the wine drinking population because they can't find those wines and what they can drink is very limited. Um, and I think, yeah, having that experience of now being in Connecticut for a few weeks and like seeing, like, wow, this is what it's like, unless now hopefully more people will get online is, it should be pretty eye opening, right? Like, it yeah. should be it's a return to at least seeing what everyone else drinks.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look for some of the importers that are sort of the go-to ones that, you know, Oh, I can rely on anything that they're bringing in and you can't find any of those importers that you really typically drink from their portfolios. And then, you know, what are you stuck with? So, you know, pulling out that hard seltzer.
2: You <laughs> <laughs> have to. So speaking of pulling out hard seltzers and all other things, um, today's uh today's topic is an interesting one which is basically um what happens in a recession right so what happens to drinking in a recession and i think we you know we all talk about discussing this because most people you know most economists believe that is going to be what occurs um the idea of sort of a check mark rebound is probably not an accurate one although again cheeto and Chief may believe so um i hate to tell him that it's not gonna work just like it doesn't work to inject uh sanitizer into yourself as he claimed yesterday or
1: sunlight sunlight was latest
2: yeah i mean just i can't man like the things this guy says so um you know with that we were sort of curious to look back at a bunch of recessions and see sort of what happens and i think what happens is normally what most people assume but there are some surprises so you know the biggest things that we've realized is first of all obviously spirit sales go way up Right, I mean, alcohol's always been considered to be recession proof in general, but spirit sales, spirit sales definitely skyrocket, um, followed by wine, and then actually, what I think is really interesting is that beer lags behind, and that was surprising to me looking at a lot of the data, simply because like I think a lot of people assume like times of lower economic, you know, economic uncertainty mean like we turn to beer because we're America and we turn to beer, and I think it's interesting that actually no, we don't. Um, that you know, at least if history is any guide, we, we lean into spirits and we lean into wine. So as we, as we start thinking about the recession, like what, um, you know, what, what do you guys sort of think in terms of drinking, uh, during this time, uh, th- these economic times?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of data I can share just to set the stage for readers yeah. or for listeners who may not be, um, you know, familiar with kind of what happened in the past recessions. But so if we look at, uh, at where we are since 2012, the total beverage alcohol um, uh, volume sales has been pretty flat with slight ups and downs, but growing at about one percent a year from 2012 to 2019. So during that time. Uh, wine, spirits, and RTDs. So RTDs would would be, um, you know, like hard seltzers and so forth. Those things are all driving growth, and then beer has been in decline. So that's the more recent picture. But looking at the Great Recession, which was twenty seven uh, two thousand seven to two thousand nine. Even when unemployment was at 10%, the highest of the most recent recessions, the wine spirits and RTD volumes were flat to slightly up and beer was down. So that's interesting. Beer was down. And then at the 2001 to 2003 recession, unemployment was around 6%. And um, all of the volumes were growing except for beer. So it's consistent that wine... Uh, spirits and RTDs have all been growing um, at either flat to slightly up in recent recessions. Uh, and all of the time, uh, continuously, beer has been down. So I, I think it's an interesting question. Why why has beer been more impacted? And what might we see, you know, moving forward from where we're at now?
0: I didn't know those numbers before we started this podcast. I guess in ignorance, there is, I don't know, some sort of bliss. And I not really really surprises me, because as Adam was sort of mentioning at the, uh, a minute ago, we associate sort of beer, obviously, like a lot of beer is relatively inexpensive, certainly compared with with much in the way of wine and spirits, although there are also obviously very inexper- inexpensive spirits and wine available as well. And I guess like, I, I think that maybe part of why I would have assumed that beer would be doing better in these periods of time would be that it is something that you can kind of you know, that it fits into that sort of grocery store model that Erica was describing before yeah. where, you know, the, the we know, you know, you if you like your macro loggers or whatever, you know, every time you grab a six pack or a 12 pack, exactly what you're going to get, the, the availability is consistent throughout the country for the most part. And those things, I assume, still drive you know the bulk of all, of sales. And so, but but I do wonder if you know there is some sense in which, and I, and I've been thinking about this a lot in preparation for this podcast and just in general that that we we see maybe one pattern out of this, and it's it's just a guess. I have no real answer, but but I'm wondering if that part of what's going on in these um, in these recessions is that something like a bottle of wine or a you know or a a cocktail or a spirit in general, whether however you kind of consume it is seen by people as a sort of affordable luxury, right? You know, you might have to cut out a lot of the things in a recession that you would otherwise consider to be, you know, pleasurable, like you maybe don't go on vacation, or maybe you don't, you know, buy a new car, which is maybe not a luxury, but is still, you know, a sort of a, an item that you might not buy in those periods of time. But that a bottle of wine, and it doesn't have to be an expensive bottle of wine, but a 15 or 20 or $25 bottle of wine, or a bottle of gin or something like that, Feels like the kind of luxury that you can still indulge in, and and for the most part, beer, with very few exceptions, doesn't convey the same sense of like indulgence, especially you know the same self same kind of macro loggers that I described, and so maybe that for people it's like, well, if I'm going to you know if i'm going to kind of drink maybe i want to drink something that's that i'm going to feel like is taking my mind off of this situation in more ways than just intoxicating me but also sort of making me feel a little bit of luxury in the way that i can afford
2: i mean i th- i think that that's a nice perspective to have like it's a nice theory um i would like to think that that's why i think it has more to do with bang for buck though could be like i think i think like Beer just traditionally is lower alcohol. Um, and while I don't subsc- like, you know, support drinking to numb pain, like a lot of studies show that in times of recession, even what's happening now, people do turn to alcohol as a, as a very quick way to sort of deal with depression, anxiety, sleepless nights, et cetera. Again, do not support that that is why anyone would turn to drinking um but also people are much more budget conscious so if you if you're out and you want to have fun with your friends and you want to have a little bit of a buzz it'll take you a you know much quicker time getting there with a glass or two of wine or you know one or two whiskeys than it would with like you know traditional macro beer um the other thing i think is that beer has always been seen as something that's very affordable but when you get to these beers that are higher end that are higher in alcohol right the crafts um you get to a price point that people start saying like, okay, well, I could see why I would have paid that when it was boom times. Like this was this was like beer became a luxurious item to me. But now in a recession, like why am I spending $14.99 or $15.99, $16.99 on a four-pack of beer, which is basically what has flooded the market in the craft beer world, right? And so they probably turn away from that and say, okay... You know, I'd much rather spend twenty dollars on a bottle of wine than fourteen ninety nine, fifty nine nine on a four pack of beer. That's that's also sort of like what I, what I was thinking because what we're seeing now in the coronavirus is that the the price of wine is is you know a lot of people are paying still around twenty bucks, um, which indicates that people are still willing to you know to pay for quality. But I wonder if the thought process there is like, well, it's more glasses, it's a little bit more communal. I don't know, you know, Um, spirits. I understand spirits is the easiest one, right? Spirits is just bang for buck. Um, But the beer one is, is hard to understand for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, one one takeaway I should mention the all the recession data that I was referring to is the IWSR. So and also their takeaways, uh, both now and um, and Nielsen's takeaways as well, is that, look, double we're seeing double digit sales growth at retail. We're seeing a ton of sales happening at retail the most uh, of that volume that is moving through retail right now is value brands. So people are definitely focused on value brands. And I think that takes us into the macro loggers. that takes us into um, all of the less expensive, you know, not craft spirits and wines. So I think there's definitely that value proposition that consumers are looking for right now.
0: I also think it's kind of interesting to think going forward about the specific contours of what this recession would look like, because unlike everything else that that we've discussed, you know, the previous couple of recessions, and and I think going back as far as you want, one element that's going to be very different with this recession is the lingering questions about public health and safety, and to what extent that is going to Work alongside the a recession to drive consumer business. You know, Adam, I was just uh, listening to and editing your upcoming interview uh, with Francesco Zonin, and it was really interesting to hear him talk about how for for their company, which has wineries not just in Italy but in other parts of the world, and and works across a wide range of of price points and sort of you know uh, from very kind of affordable value brands to to luxury wines, to think about how. You know, looking ahead to this upcoming to the ongoing and upcoming recession, and how you know selling higher end wine might be challenging in the first place, you're also going to be combining the challenge with the fact that for a lot of people, things like on premise, so restaurant and bar sales may not return at all, or may return in, in a much more constrained manner. Yeah. And so, what I really wonder is, you know, what some of these what some of these producers, and and it's not just the high end wine; it's high end spirits, high end beer, as you were talking about. You know do we see these things in grocery stores? Because a lot of what Erica, I think is talking about is not just people's price consciousness, but it just has to do with the, the product mix at your typical grocery store as she's experienced you know it is oriented around the kind of person who is going to in normal times do their wine shopping day of at a grocery store which is a lot of people it's it's the bulk of the market but those people are generally looking for 15 to 20 dollars bottles of wine if that and they're not necessarily like oh let me let me think about what i'm going to want to drink for the next two months let me collect you know it's wines that are kind of grab and go in a in a functional sense and and You know beer and spirits too, for the most part, and so I think you know one of these questions, and I don't have a clear answer. It's just been kicking around my brain for a little while. Is you know to what extent does our does the the limited opportunities to buy combined with perhaps limited purchasing power really drive what that what what people are buying in the next six months or a year? And and I wonder if it'll be skewed even more heavily uh, uh, towards these value brands than it normally would be.
2: I don't know. I think so. I think there's a few things that we're seeing now that could be interesting. One. I think we're going to have to see these um, these brands at, that are normally restaurant-focused brands move to off-premise. So I, I read a news uh, analysis this morning, actually. I should have sent it to you guys. But basically, it was um, – Terlato has basically put out a bunch of numbers that show that basically within the first week, they shifted a bunch of brands that were basically on-premise only, including Gaia, or primarily on-premise only, to lots of off-premise retailers and the sales have started to boom. And basically what they've seen is that there was a lot of off-premise retailers that really wanted these wines and were just never offered them because Terlato had positioned them as restaurant wines and that there are people in these areas where they're selling them now that have wanted to buy them. And we're like, Oh, holy crap, this is what that wine looks like without a, three, a 3X a three markup. Mm-hmm. right? Like Because they were only ever buying them at restaurants. And so I, I think you will see that repositioning. And that is where sort of I don't completely agree if we're going to talk about the Francesco uh, Zonin interview with him where he was like, there are certain brands that can only exist in restaurants. I actually don't think that's true. Um, I think good wine can exist everywhere. And I think that that's kind of like a old school wine industry idea that like there's, o- there's certain wines that can only be become who they are in the restaurant. Like It's not true. If it's a good wine and you go to a great wine shop and the person behind the counter is knowledgeable, which a lot of these wine shops nowadays are, they can sell that wine to a consumer and explain to them why they should, what they should make with it and how they should drink it at home. But I also think that in addition to that, right, Zach, we're talking about um, the risk of going out, right? So how much are you going to be willing to pay and take the risk? I know Eric and I were having this conversation about a week ago in our editorial meeting, right? So it's like, am I willing to go out and sit at a restaurant, first of all, in a recession, so maybe, you know, hopefully everything goes well and everyone that you know still has a good job, but like someone you know maybe doesn't and they're a guest with you, right? So you're you're being more budget conscious because of that, also because there's just uncertainty. Plus there's the social distancing that we may have for the next X amount of time. So are you willing to pay – $27 $27 for a cheeseburger or 20? Are you willing to pay $16 anymore for a cocktail or is only 10 what you're willing to, to spend out? Cause you're like, look, if I'm already taking the risk, like I'm also not going to get what I feel like is now fleeced. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much that will play too in this one, in this recession. Um, because like at least in past recessions, as we said, like there wasn't the, the added risk of feeling like you were vulnerable being in the restaurant. But now, there are some people who could feel that, although people are saying that. Obviously, in China, opening back up, they don't see that as much. But we'll we'll see once the Western world gets a hold of this thing, how we react because we're all neurotic. Um, I so I wonder, like, if if that will if that will impact Erica. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's. I mean, there's so many facets. It's just so it's so hard to un to really know. What is going to come out of this, and where where we're going to be moving forward i mean one one of the things I was just thinking about and we were we were discussing as part of an article we just did was about low and no a b v um uh, Uh, wine, well, spirits mostly, but the low and no ABV movements that have been emerging and they're kind of in their nascent stages. But a lot of brands and even Distill Ventures backed by Diageo has brought a lot of these, incubated a lot of these brands that are these low and no ABV spirits that are selling out there these bottles for $30 um, for a 700 milliliter bottle, for example. And you know, now you have small brands, which may be low and no ABV brands, which um, don't have that sort of, you know, bang for your buck. Like what's going to happen to this whole other sector of craft? You know, what, where are we going to go in literally every single different sector? There is a different challenge that we're facing. And it's, it's really hard to know how this is all going to shake out.
2: Yeah. I, I, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think, Obviously, we can have some idea of the past from the past, but I think Zach, what you bring up is really important to remember. This reason that we're going to have this procession is very different than the past, Um, and it adds a whole new layer to things that I think we've never thought about before. I think coupled on the on top of that is this idea that a lot of us, you know, we've seen this. So um, last week we had our best traffic week ever besides new year's eve like the week of new year's right and we are seeing massive traffic to our wine recommendations and cocktail recipes and so we know from that that people are drinking better at home and making cocktails at home so if now like what you're what you're adding on to this is i guess what i'm trying to say way in a way too long way is <laughs> for the first time ever on this podcast I know, seriously. Hey, you're guilty of it too. Oh, me, definitely. (laughs) Is, you know, prior to 2008, right? Like I didn't know how to make a drink. So even though there was a recession, I still, if I wanted a really good drink, was going to ultimately go out and treat myself. Now, I feel like I've perfected how to make pretty good drinks over the last X weeks. (laughs) I feel like all of us on this podcast have, You've gotten even better at it. I feel like there's a lot of my friends who've been sending me pictures of all the great drinks they've been making and all the great wines they've discovered. And again, so then it comes into starting to do this calculus in your head of like, okay, so why would I go out? Because I know how to make the good drink here. And here I know that I can buy the spirit I like and these ingredients. And it basically do the math and it comes down to costing me $3 or something to make this one cocktail. And out and
0: out, it's 15. That was the point I was going to make, and I and I think you you made a, a you you kind of took a little of what I was going to say, and I have one other thing to add to it, <laughs> which is good. You know we're on the same page here, but I think that you know Adam, you mentioned earlier that you know are people going to look at some of these wines that that they maybe didn't totally realize what the wholesale price was, or or even what the price at retail would be, and say like, well, why do I want to pay two and a half, three, three and a half times markup in a restaurant when I can buy that bottle if I can buy that bottle somewhere else and open it at home? And you know whether it's uh, people being more you know willing to cook after this because they've had to to some extent, or even just more familiar with, comfortable with delivery services, or or even pick. Picking up uh, for takeout, you know, I think those are things that are going to stick around for a while because people, you know, even as restaurants reopen, I think they're going to have to have some significant delivery presence just to, to kind of keep volume up. And I think that you know you're right. I think we're going to be in an era. You know, in some ways, it's like as someone who's worked in restaurants for a long time, it depresses me. But but also as someone who likes to to entertain and to cook, you know, I do think we're going to see when people start moving back out into the world in some controlled way. I think a lot of what you're going to see is people getting together with their friends, with their family, and showing off their skills. Right, showing off their 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 cooking skills, their baking skills, their ability to make cocktails. You know, maybe some wines that they really like. And it does mean that for for brands of all sizes, you know, what they're going to have to do going forward to remain, you know, sort of a a vibrant part of the marketplace is they're going to have to figure out how to get inside that loop, right? And whether that's um, through recommendations on sites like VinePair or whether that's through being more present in grocery stores, the sorts of, you know, liquor and wine shops that are open, you know, you're not going to, you know, the the gatekeepers are going to be a little different than they have been in the past. And that, I think is actually not a bad thing. You know, I think, you know, Adam, <laughs> you and I have sort of bemoaned a couple times on this podcast way back in, you know, whatever, 10,000 years ago, the sort of gatekeeper effect that sommeliers had taken on in, in some parts of the wine world. And, and it's no different in other, with other categories as well that there totally. have been, um, you know, and this, this is, you know, sort of shaking the snow globe up and while well, there's a lot of negatives and I'm not saying, Oh, this is good, but it is, it is the case that there, there is an opportunity here for, for sort of everyone involved whether you're a producer, you're a consumer, you're someone who is on the on-premise or off-premise side to sort of say look, you know, how do, like I said, how do I get inside that loop and how do I connect with people who are going to be enjoying product these products in a functionally different way than they did, you know, 6 months ago.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and one interesting thing is I I uh have been so interested in the past year, two years about the premiumization trend, right? So that was the trend around uh, more consumers wanting to drink less, but better kind of with a little bit of the the lower ABV or not quite sober curious, but um, moving into that idea of just not drinking as much volume, but drinking better quality. So the question I have related to entertaining at home and and Really understanding your products better and experimenting more with making cocktails and so forth is in this recessionary environment. Will we see that trend continue? I think that's something that could be really, really interesting to explore in an article or something. Um, you know, in, in this environment, will consumers, now that they know more, now that they're entertaining maybe in small intimate groups and, and um, really understanding their products better, will they continue that move?
2: It's really interesting. I think it's a good place for us to like leave it too uh, with that question of like what will happen and will people continue to be to to move premium or not? Because I honestly don't know. Uh, I would like to hope yes.
0: Yeah. This is like our first ever cliffhanger ending podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to have to write about it. <laughs> I
2: know. I know. I would like to hope yes. Um, that That the premiumization trend will continue. I have to kind of think that it will a little bit just because you have an entire generation who's gotten used to these nice things. I don't see them all of a sudden turning away from them. I see them as you were sort of saying Erica maybe buying less, but but when they do buy, buying higher quality. Um I don't I don't see this whole, you know, this millennial generation that's embraced organic and biodynamic and all that stuff all and craft all of a sudden being like, "You know what?" I'll just take whatever the six dollar drug <laughs> is. <laughs> like, I just, I just don't. But you know, maybe that's me. Um, I think that you know what could skew the data, unfortunately, in the you know in the short term is that there is still a lot of boomers out there, and they pro- for sure will in, the, in this recession. But I think I do think that the Gen Xers and the millennials and the the Gen Zs will probably continue to move premium just because that's what they've been doing, and it, it's it. I, I don't think you'll see a massive reverse.
1: Yeah,
0: I agree.
2: Guys, this was an, another interesting one, you know, and everyone listening, thanks for for spending your morning, afternoon, evening with us, whenever it is you're now listening to this podcast. Uh we really appreciate it. Um if you Continue to enjoy the VinePair Podcast. Of course, always drop us a line at at podcast.vinepair.com. Let us know what you enjoy, what you don't, um, and topics you'd like to see us cover in the future. And of course, always please leave a review, rating, et cetera, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It helps everyone discover what we're doing here at VinePair. Erica, Zach, talk to you next week. See you then. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the VinePair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patrie and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the VinePair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.